We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, and uh, it is a Monday morning, August 14th, 2023. Uh, second full week of fall camp, I believe, is, is underway for the Ducks. Uh, so we're getting closer to that time, folks, and uh, I am joined today on the podcast by my friend Spencer McLaughlin. He's the host of Locked on Ducks, Locked on Pac-12, and does an, a bunch of great work. Uh, Spencer, how are we doing today, man? Thanks for being here. Oh, dude, it's great to be back with you at long last. It's been a little bit. I will take some culpability for that because I was out in a remote part of uh, the country with minimal cell service and Wi-Fi um, capabilities, but we are back and now it is just a full court press until the season starts. It really is. I'm, uh, I'm going to my first high school game this Friday uh, and, and can't wait for that one. So it's, it's definitely that time of the year. Um, just before we get into today's episode, we're coming to you guys live at a couple different spots on Twitter at MTorres Sports, on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres, and on the Ducks Digest Facebook page. So if you guys are here in the live chat, maybe leave us a comment, maybe ask us a question. We'll see if we have time to get to it. I know Spencer's on a, a tight schedule today, but really what we wanted to get into uh, today in the show is a little bit more of that Oregon to the Big Ten talk. Um, Spencer, I know you've been covering the heck out of realignment on, on your show, um, but I definitely wanted to just kind of dive into the big picture question about where Oregon stacks up in this new look Big Ten. You have Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, all those storied programs, and then you're also adding in Oregon now, you're adding in Washington, you're adding in USC and UCLA. So let's kind of let's kind of wade into those waters. I think Oregon stacks up very well. I'm going to kind of open it up in that top five area, just top five teams in the Big Ten. But uh, let's just start with that. What you thinking? I think in an 18-team conference, you're going to look at three tiers. And I think you could always do this with a conference, but I think it becomes a lot clearer and easier for people to kind of contextualize and visualize as well in terms of where they expect their team to be and where their team ends up being, what caliber of uh, program or program they are. And I, I think that's a lot easier to do when you have more teams is, I guess, an advantage of the uh, of the 18-team conference. So 
I, I think that's a good, a good way to kind of measure stuff is, okay, where do we fall? Are we tier one, tier two, tier three? I think Oregon's absolutely tier one. I think you look at the biggest brands in the Big Ten and where Oregon can stack up, where the program has been, where it can continue to go under Dan Lanning and the staff who appears locked in with the, the, the contract and everything. So I think that that's where Oregon should expect to be. I think that's where fans should expect Oregon to be because, yeah, your top dogs running the conference right now are Ohio State and Michigan. I've seen, it was a long time ago, I've seen Oregon give, uh, give, give Michigan the old, uh, the old roadhouse kick. Uh, not roundhouse, roadhouse, because I like Family Guy. But uh, roadhouse and the uh, the old the old roundhouse, or sorry, roadhouse kick. We saw him beat Ohio State in 2021. We've beaten Wisconsin before when they've been really good. Penn State's been a really good program. Oregon has been a better one over the last 10, 15 years. And so I think when you factor in USC and Washington, who were you know at Oregon's level as well in terms of capabilities and where they are at. I think you absolutely put Oregon in the top six because I, I don't know that I could name six programs that I'd say they're going to be stronger than Oregon year in and, and year out. You know, I mean, Ohio State, that, I, I mean, that, 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 that's kind of about it for where I'm coming from, that I could say year in and year out, I could see them being better than Oregon consistently over a five-year span. Like, I haven't seen USC do it in a long time. I've seen Washington go toe-to-toe and be on equal footing, but not above. And all the other ones haven't had as much success as Oregon. So I, I, I think they're absolutely one of the biggest brands in the Big Ten. Yeah, well, and, and it's interesting that that's the way you took it. That's the direction that you took the question because there's a lot of different ways that we could look at this. We can look at it uh, from the perspective of strictly on field. You know, with these two teams are going toe-to-toe. Um, you know, how confident are we that Oregon's going to be able to win or at the very least be competitive? I think being competitive in a conference like the Big Ten carries a whole lot more weight than being competitive in the Pac-12. We could probably both agree on that one. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you as far as Ohio State and Michigan being those two programs that we can pretty confidently right now put above Oregon. Um, and then Penn State, I feel like, is kind of that that sweet middle spot where, like, as far as them and Oregon are kind of on the, the same ground right now. Uh, and then USC is another school that I think is – is you know kind of hovering right there around Oregon's level. Um, I think if you are just comparing those two teams, it's super interesting in terms of just which one's more well-rounded. We know for a fact that USC can put up a bunch of points in a hurry, um, but in terms of just where Oregon stacks up, I think there's a lot of important things to look at. I think I want to talk about two things real quick. Let's let's focus on comparing them with Ohio State and Michigan because that's the gold standard in the Big Ten. Um, and we're going to do two points here. The first one is how much weight we're able to put into that Ohio State win back when Mario Cristobal was the head coach in 2021. And the second one's going to be how do we think Jim Harbaugh's future at Michigan can kind of impact things? Because he's probably going to flirt with the NFL uh, almost every offseason. He did it this past offseason. Um, so I think those are two important lenses to look through. Let's start with that first one about how much weight we can put in that Ohio State win in 21. Yeah, I think you can put a pretty good amount behind it because it's demonstrative of of what Oregon football is capable of being. It's demonstrative of the fact that they can not just go toe-to-toe with and play competitively, but go into Columbus and walk out victoriously against the biggest brand in the Big Ten. And I think when 
you realize that that's the potential, that that is indeed possible, that's the standard that we should be holding coaches, players, and teams to as fans because we know that that can be done and that it's not going to you know take some massive rebuild to get the program in a place where it can do that, right? We know that it just shouldn't be that far away from it, and I don't think that it is. There's, I think, a gap, but I don't think there's a huge gap I think it's certainly closable, and I think depending on how this season plays out and what we see from the Ducks will give us better insight as to how far we have to go to get to that top four caliber level the way Ohio State did last year and Michigan and Georgia and who else was in the the playoff last year that I'm I'm forgetting, and TCU. So I I think that that's certainly where they're they're capable of being because, look, if you can go – if you're capable – of having your program at a place where you can go into Ohio State and win, there's nothing you can't accomplish in the Big Ten. That doesn't mean it's easy, that it's going to happen very often. Like, if you look at the Pac-12, Oregon's won it basically one out of every three years, right? 2020, which was weird, but 2019, 2014, 2011, right? It's four titles in 13 years. So about once every three years. I don't know that you can replicate that in the Big Ten, But if we went 13 years and never won a Big Ten title, I would have major questions or it would be an overall feeling of disappointment because I know they can compete with the best of the best in the Big Ten. And I see no reason to indicate that the recruiting can do anything but go up in the Big Ten. I don't think it goes up as much as some people think, but it certainly can't hurt. So as long as you are bringing in the right players and you have the right coaches in place, I think that's where Oregon fans should should expect to be is certainly a tier one program in the Big Ten. Yeah, and, and two other things on that Ohio State win, um, you know, from 2021. You have to look at, I think one of them is where that, when that win happened in the grand scheme of the season. Um, I think that, I'm not trying to say this to take away from Oregon's win, but it was the second game of the season, so I, I think we can probably agree that they did, they weren't facing prime Ohio State when everything's rolling and there's all that chemistry and whatever it is. But to that point, you have to look at what Oregon, how Oregon was able to get this win, what, what kind of players they were working with. They won this game with Anthony Brown at quarterback, which is pretty phenomenal, and that also speaks to what they were able to do on the ground because they established themselves on the ground and they never looked back. And they also won that game with little to no pass rush. They had two sacks that entire game. And they were still able for like 430 yards. Yeah. No, he was doing what he wanted, and they were still able to get it done, partially because of a big defensive stop towards the end there. Uh, and then DJ Johnson's sack, I believe it was. So I don't think Oregon is, is on the same level uh, as you know, Ohio State and Oregon, sorry, and Michigan. Um, from a roster standpoint, I think the recruiting is absolutely going to continue to be there. I don't think they're quite at Ohio State's level just yet, but they're able to field teams that are going to give them a shot against Ohio State and Michigan, and that's all you can really ask for. But from a you know pure roster standpoint, I think there's a couple areas where Oregon's not quite ready to head into the Big Ten, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be competitive. Uh, I think the lines of scrimmage well, are pretty good on offense, but defense is is still where they're they're kind of trying to to meet that mark because I don't think they're there just yet. So I agree about the defensive line, but going into 2024, how many 2023 defensive linemen did Oregon recruit that were that were four star kids? Pretty sure the number was eight, and they brought in ten defensive linemen total. And one of one of them who was a three star, Tatum Tuioti, 
has been getting buzz and love throughout fall camp to this point. So I'm not as concerned about that as it pertains specifically to Ohio State. And the interesting part about college football is teams have different identities and they just have different matchups that they play well against and different matchups they don't play well against. So Lincoln Riley teams, for instance, who have they struggled with over the years? Who'd they lose to twice last year? Utah. Utah. What'd they do? They ran the football a lot. They loved running the football. They lost to Tulane. Did Tulane throw it all over the field? No, they ran for over 300 yards. Lincoln Riley teams at Oklahoma, now they couldn't stop anybody once they got to the playoff, but they weren't exactly known for their physical style of defense. Ryan Day's Ohio State teams are slowly but surely becoming those sorts of teams that are so prolific offensively and have ridiculous talent and they're going to have good quarterback play every year and they'll have great receivers and they're going to have great scheme and everything. But look at who's beaten Ohio State the last couple of years, Michigan two years in a row and Oregon in 2021. And what did those teams do? They were physical and they ran the football. But did Michigan automatically, you know, dominate everybody else in the Big Ten? Yeah. But were they able to dominate TCU? No, they were not. So, the matchups can be different. The styles can be different. And I don't think Oregon should you know, make their team in the mold of, we need to beat Ohio State. They should make their team in, and their roster in the mold of, how do we best set ourselves up for success, given our coaching staff and what we're trying to accomplish on the football field. And I think you let the matchups kind of take care of themselves. But I don't think you should build towards one specific team that you're trying to counter or one specific team that you're you know, trying to, you know, go against or, or beat. Like, you shouldn't make a team just do that. You should make the best team possible. And I don't think Oregon is as far from, you know, Ohio State's roster top to bottom as some people might think because I look at Ohio State's teams and say, where are their, where are their great defensive players? Where have they gone? They don't have Nick and Joey Bosa and Chase Young and um, – uh, it was Denzel Ward? No. Yeah, Denzel Ward was Denzel Ohio Ward State. Corner. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, there's another one as well who was taken. Uh, you have JT. He's a, he's a younger guy that's there now. Yeah. But the, anyway, they've had a bunch of great defensive players. They haven't had so many since Ryan Day took over, but they've had a lot of great offensive players. CJ Stroud, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., all the receivers that they've had. So I, I, I don't know that Oregon, you know, physically is, is behind Ohio State in a significant way, but. We'd have to see him, you know, play things out on the field to know for sure. Yeah, and, and that's a good point about as far as Oregon being closer to that level of roster construction than some people think, because we're we're framing this episode and this whole mindset in the context of what? Twenty twenty four, when the ducks are gonna be in the Big Ten. And a reality of that situation is they're going to be able to recruit through the high school rankings and the transfer portal rankings, which is only going to accelerate Oregon being able to close that gap with Ohio State and Michigan and the likes of the Big Ten Conference. But there is one thing that I don't know if I would categorize it as a hurdle right now, but something that definitely makes me kind of think twice or pause a little bit. When Oregon goes to the Big Ten in 2024, they're not going to have Bo Nix. And I think a bigger part of that conversation is just how Oregon has historically handled and recruited the quarterback position. Because I can tell you right now, it's a little early, but August 14th, 2023, I am very confident that Oregon's starting quarterback is not on the roster. 
and probably isn't even committed in the recruiting class. What You're do you think very about that? confident in that? Relatively confident. Relatively confident. You want me to tell you a bit more why? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I could see the 2024 starter not being on the roster right now. I don't know that I would put it at more than a 55-45 split. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't need to, I don't need to, I feel like I don't need to say too much more about my thoughts on Ty Thompson. I'd love for him to be the guy. I'd love for him to take that leap. But I feel like if we haven't seen it by now, he's just not the guy. That said, what do you look to then? You look to the two 2024 commits in Luke Moga and Michael Van Buren. Just look historically at how incredibly difficult and how incredibly rare it is that we see a true freshman start right as you know as a as a college quarterback we just don't see it very often the, the most prevalent example i can think of is is trevor lawrence because he just lit things on fire so that all of that said i think even though oregon has ty thompson on the roster they have moga and van buren i would not be surprised at all if they go back to the portal I you're think just gonna, gonna go overlook to austin novasad like that uh, I mean, maybe I wouldn't I wouldn't overlook it, but how much playing time is he going to get this year? If it's not Bo Nix, is it more likely to be Ty Thompson or Novasad that is um, is going to be the guy that's going to be getting those snaps? It would be Ty Thompson for, for sure, but I would counter that with when a guy makes his first career start, how many snaps does he usually have of experience previously? That's fair. That's fair. Like, you, you know, you, you show up and... If you show in practice that you're ready, you'll be able to go out and and make the plays in the game. And there may be a learning curve, but Justin Herbert wasn't ready to start in in year one immediately. He took over midseason once things started to go downhill with Dakota Prukop at the helm. And we wisely, I think, put him in there and said, okay, let's build for, for the following season, which worked out quite well because Herbert went on to have, as we all know, a very good career. But... He didn't start right away, but then once he showed up to start, he was able to make a lot of plays and still did things well. Was he a better quarterback as a senior? Yeah, of course. Of course of course he was, but he was still a guy who was capable of starting as a freshman. I think that much was pretty clear. And when Mariota started his first game, he hadn't taken a snap in anything but a spring game or a scrimmage. And now that's an all-time you know great player, of course, but... I think people have weird perceptions about how a quarterback comes to be the starter. It doesn't always, it's not always in um, the indications that a guy is ready to start are not always reliant 
upon having played in previous games are coming in mop-up duty. Like, sure. do, is that is that why Ty Thompson is not the starter? Because he's shown up in mop-up duty and hasn't really looked very impressive in doing so? No. He's shown up in mop-up duty because of what he shows in practice. Both coaching staffs have agreed, yeah, this kid is not ready to be a starting quarterback right now. So at some point you have to make that leap. And I, I agree with you that Moga and Van, Van Buren both, I don't expect either to start in 2024. But... Look, maybe Ty does need just another year in the system. Maybe Will Stein is the coach that he gels with. I could see that. I could see Novosad being the starter because I think he's, you know, got some got some real talent for sure, but I I would not rule out for sure having the transfer portal be be an option there. Like I think it's always going to be available, but there are no guarantees there either. Like I think people look to the portal and say, "Well, you know, it's a guarantee you're going to have this." Well, Dakota Prukop was a portal addition. What a disaster. That didn't work out very well. And, I mean, he wasn't, you know, terrible, but he wasn't winning football games. And Anthony Brown was a portal addition. Did he have, he had starting experience. Are we thrilled with how that season went with him at the helm? Because I know that I wasn't. So, I think people overvalue the portal a little bit and underestimate the potential of kids to to really learn and study in an offseason, get better in practice, and then be ready to take a snap on game day. It's also why week one, you should always be playing an FCS opponent. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to get too sidetracked with uh, the 2024 Oregon quarterback conversation, um, but you do make a good point. And maybe maybe I do need to pump the brakes a little bit as far as maybe we take the conversation more towards it's Austin Novosad versus Ty Thompson. And then the question becomes how much development can we see from Austin Novosad between now and uh, maybe the next spring or you know the, the start of the 2024 season? Because keep in mind, um, you know, that was Stein's guy, you know, he's from Texas, he, he knows him really well. So I think even starting to look at that, I feel almost more confident that Novosad could could make a little bit more sense as far as tracking towards seeing the field versus a Ty Thompson who, um, you know, wasn't recruited by Stein wasn't recruited by this coaching staff, maybe just isn't as much of a schematic fit as some of these other guys that we've talked about. But I do think that Oregon is absolutely going to look to the portal. Uh, following the 2023 season for Bo Nix's replacement because they at least owe it to themselves to do that. And if you see, there could very well be a guy that hops in the portal like Malik Murphy, who I've kind of been thinking about more and more lately. Um, and Andrew is mentioning here, I'm not saying, oh, he's going to be at Oregon, but I feel like you have an option like that potentially in the portal. Is that the Texas um, backup? Texas backup. Yeah. Maybe the Texas third string now because Arch Manning and, and then you have um, Quinn, Ewers. Uh, Quinn Ewers. Thank you. Uh, in that room so he could be looking at the number three spot or maybe he doesn't want to be at that point I think he's going to want to go somewhere where he feels like he can confidently win the job but let's wrap up last thoughts on that quarterback discussion and get back to some big tent talk yeah I, I think Oregon is going to have options no matter what and I wouldn't worry about it necessarily at this point in time because it is a year away but I, I tell you once this season ends it is going to dominate a lot of content on my show because that's going to be the biggest question like there is no question that that will be the biggest question is who's going to play quarterback who's going to show what will we have seen what will we know and that's why I'm intrigued to watch Ty Thompson in a game like uh like Hawaii this year or if we blow out Stanford and or Colorado and he gets a chance uh, again to get some run Portland State as well if he shows that he looks better he's got the highest ceiling of all of them but he also might have 
the longest way to go because he's trying not just to adapt to the college game fully in the um, and, and and what all that entails, but he's also got to I I think reset his confidence and try to gain that back, and that's a really really difficult place to be as a quarterback. Talking with Spencer McLaughlin, host of Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 here on a Monday morning in mid-August. Duck football is just, uh, what, three weeks away or so now? Um, So very, very exciting times here. If you guys are watching along on YouTube, do me a favor and hit that like and subscribe button for me and then hit the bell so that you don't miss out on future live shows where I bring guys like Spencer on or maybe it's just myself giving you guys some recruiting intel. But let's turn the discussion back to the Big Ten a little bit, Spencer. You know, we got a little bit sidetracked there, but always some good stuff uh, for sure. I think another part I wanted to look at in terms of Oregon and the Big Ten is just where they're able to stack up uh, as far as uh, let's let's focus a little bit more on defense. We talked about the defensive line. I think that that certainly isn't where it needs to be, but it's it's trending in the right direction, especially when you have the portal because you can bring in guys that are ready to go right now and don't need to get their game ready for the college level. Um, but I think that the rest of this Oregon defense right now is is just a little uh, a little foggy. You know, you got guys that I think every position where you can be confident about, but the linebacker play hasn't been great for Oregon in recent years. That was definitely, I think, the liability for last year's defense from a positional unit. Um, but just kind of looking more at what they've been able to do with that position and kind of how those guys maybe stack up to, to slow down and get, uh, some of those elite Big Ten weapons that they're going to be going against. I, I, I'd push back on the linebackers were the weakest unit last year. I, I think there's a case for that. But I, I could also argue pretty easily that the defensive line, specifically with regards to the pass rush, was the biggest weak point, And that that made everything else tougher. Because that makes coverage harder, that makes lives harder for the safeties as well, who I didn't think had the most productive season we've seen from that unit for the Ducks in the last several years. I I thought they, I mean, Brian Addison had a couple of really nice moments for sure, and I like Brian Addison. He's a really, really good explosive athlete, and I think a good football player uh, as well. But the rest of the safeties that Oregon had back there, whether it was Bennett Williams or Steve Stevens or Jamal Hill, it just they just weren't making that many impact plays, and it felt like there were more big time negative ones than than positive ones. Uh, which isn't to say that there weren't any good ones. You know, Bennett Williams, of course, had that great game against Utah. But I, I think that for the Ducks, the defensive line it, it has to be good. You can't have a great defense without a great defensive line. You can have a great defense without great linebackers. Like think back to the last time Oregon had a great defense, 2019. Who are the best players on that team, Max? Kayvon Thibodeau was the best individual player. Brandon Dorless was, I believe, on that team. He was younger, um, mm-hmm. but he was a player on that team. I think Popo was on was on that defensive line. He's been in Oregon for like six, seven years now. And the secondary were just a bunch of ballers. Well, you had Thomas nine. Graham. You had yeah, well, I was about to get to Troy Dye, okay, but okay. you had you had you had Diamandor Lenore, that's an NFL corner. You had Thomas Graham, he made the league. You had Brady Breeze, found his way onto a roster. Verone McKinley is on the Dolphins. You had Javon Holland, who is a stud. I mean a stud muffin supreme in the NFL. Like he's an absolute baller. Those were the anchors of the defense. Now you had two linebackers and Isaac Slade, Matoatia, and Troy Dye. And there were a couple others who rotated in as well, who, number one, were not very big. But number two, 
they were they were just solid. Like Troy Dye was a really was a really good player. Tackling don't, machine. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he was a really really good tackler. But I I would never think of him as the anchor for that defense. It was about the defensive line led by Thibodeau, and it was about the secondary most importantly. So I think you can create a great like I I would say that those linebackers were good. They were rock solid players, and they did a lot of really good things. But they were not what brought the defense to the level that it was at. So that's why I say you can have a great defense without a great linebacking unit. It certainly helps, but I don't think it's, you just need them to be solid. And they were not solid a year ago. Uh, the PFF grades reflect that. I think the eye test for all the fans reflect that. The linebackers were not as good specifically in coverage as we would have liked them to be. So hopefully that improves, but you need defensive linemen and you need players in the secondary who can make big time plays, especially when you're running a four-two-five and you've got that extra DB on on the field. I, I think that makes them matter matter even more. Yeah, and, and I think kind of you know what made KT so special is that he was just an injection of energy and production into that defense that that they just didn't ultimately have. You know, nine sacks, um, I believe it was as a as a true freshman um was was pretty insane and that's just not something that we've seen replicated at oregon so i agree with your point you need havoc and chaos uh at the point of attack okay it was seven tackles or sorry seven sacks as a i'm looking at the stats right now i'm trying to okay no nine sacks as a true freshman in 2019 let me let me get myself uh settled in here so you need chaos at the point of attack absolutely you need guys who can get after the quarterback and stop the run, which to Oregon's credit last year at the defensive line, they were pretty good at start stopping the run, except against Oregon State, as we all know. But you also need playmakers in that secondary, guys who not only can lock down their their opponent, their assignment, but guys who can make plays on the ball and, and generate kind of some explosive offense in that way and set the offense up with, with the great field position. So I think if, if Oregon can continue to identify impact guys in the transfer portal, like they have, hopefully, with Taishim Johnson and, and Evan Williams, guys like that, I think you're setting yourself up for success to, to be able to field those defenses that are going to be able to ultimately slow down or at least keep you competitive against the Big Ten. And part of the reason, too, Spencer, that I think Oregon's going to be able to, to stack up well in the Big Ten and ultimately be competitive kind of has to do with Dan Lanning being the head coach. Uh, because I think at this point you can be confident that he's going to do everything he can to get the defense taken care of and he's not going to split hairs on offense. He's going to hopefully, you know, give things to Will Stein and the rest of that offensive staff and kind of take a little bit of a hands-off approach, which is what Oregon's offense, I think, quite frankly, needed uh, ahead of the 2022 season when they brought in Kenny Dillingham for uh, Landing's first season, and then look look what happened. So as long as you can kind of let the offense do their things, he can really focus on what he does best, which is the defense, and really making sure that uh, – you know, Oregon's kind of a, a defensive-minded team right now, and, and they're able to kind of put their identity on that. Yeah, and you got to be able to recruit at a high level to to build that sort of unit. You got to find those guys in the secondary that can be playmakers. You have to be disruptive with your front four. You know, like I said, you can't have a great defense without a great defensive line. If you can't get pressure without blitzing, then you're just not going to be a great defense. And I think that's what, you know, we really saw with Oregon a year ago is in order to get pressure on the quarterback, they had to blitz and that creates more holes on the back end and puts a lot of pressure on, on your corners and, and safeties as well. So hopefully that's something that, that we see more of uh, from the Ducks this year is an ability to, to put pressure on the quarterback consistently without having to bring a linebacker or, or a safety or a corner 
on, on, on a blitz, which isn't to say they, you know, never do that, but you would like to see more instances where when you're rushing four guys, the quarterback is uncomfortable rather than what we saw a lot of last year, which is quarterback drops back and he's just sitting there patting the ball in the pocket, taking his time, reading the deal. Like you just can't cover for that long. It doesn't matter how good your corners are, which is why that, that interplay is, is so important between the defensive line and the secondary. Yeah, well, lots of really good stuff on this show. I think kind of closing remarks, Oregon's going to stack up well in the Big Ten. I don't think that they're on the level of Ohio State or Michigan, but you've seen the proof and you're seeing some of the results, especially through recruiting, that's going to help them get to that level. Uh, But I know, Spencer, you had a hard 30 out, so we're going to have to wrap this one up and get you out of here. But before that, where can people find more of you, what you got going on in your work? Yeah, I'm at Smalls underscore 55 on Twitter, and I host Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Plenty to discuss right now on both shows as the season is less than three weeks away, Max. How about that? Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm super stoked. Guys, make sure you tap in with Spencer. He does some awesome work. If you want to find more of me, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at mtorresports. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Torres. And then read all of my latest written work over on ducksdigest.com. Until next time, thank you to Spencer for hopping on. Thank you guys, the viewer, the listener, for tuning in. And we'll catch you in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.